Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today is one of the new format episodes where members of the Upgrade Collective, my annual membership group, where I'm teaching all of my books and all of my knowledge and structured courses with coaching support and dozens of phone calls with me and videos with me and things like that. Uh, where they're actually part of our live audience. And at the end of the show, we're going to take some questions from them. So thank you, Upgrade Collective members, for tuning in. It's one of the benefits you get by being a member, and there's a lot of them. If you're interested in this, go to OurUpgradeCollective.com and sign up. I'd love to see you there. There's a vibrant community of people all learning to be better every single day using biohacking and all sorts of other stuff, including stuff that we are going to talk about on the show today. You've heard me talk about sex pretty often on Bulletproof Radio, because there's these four F words that drive everything we do. There's fear comes first, food comes second, and another F word is a third one. <laughs> Fertility, that's what <laughs> you're thinking of, right? And, and there's friends, our supportive community. This is the order of operations for all life forms. And if you ignore the energy of sex, you actually won't perform the way you want to perform as a human being. Like you want to show up for yourself and for the world, this stuff matters. And that's why we just did the sex energy series. And, you know, we talked about sexual fantasies from a scientific perspective. And today I'm picking that conversation up again with Alexandra Fine, who's a credentialed sexologist who has a master's in clinical psychology with a concentration in sex therapy from Columbia, who took that passion, see what I did there, and <laughs> combined it with engineering to start a company that's really looking at how do we use tech to get more out of sex and to make it more satisfying. Alexandra, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. I saw what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those shows where I'm going to try my best to not let my inner seventh grader come out, but I usually fail. Just to I be mean, why? Why hold it back? You know, I think that that is like that inner child is so rejuvenating. And I think kind of like tapping into our curiosity and the silliness and playfulness of sex can be really... I don't know. I thought holding back was something you wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be fun. (laughs) I I guess the the question I have is, okay, you are, in addition to very well educated, you talk about something called the pleasure gap, which we're going to get into, but you also said, all right, I'm going to go out and partner with a woman engineer and we're going to make meticulously designed uh, technology to improve sex pleasure. But I've heard, talked to other people who are like, mm, toys, maybe, you know, they're, they're not going to do everything you want to do because they focus pleasure in the wrong place or because you become reliant and all that stuff. Why did you go in the direction of tech with all the things you could have done given the knowledge you have? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't think, I think for any issue that you have, tackling it holistically is really important. You know, I don't think sometimes it's just, you just need one thing to help you. I don't know. I can't think of a good analogy of a problem right now, but just because a tool isn't going to solve education necessarily, doesn't mean that it doesn't have value and can help you on your journey and on your path. In fact, I think tools can in themselves be educating. Um, So I think for me, especially because I wanted to be a sex therapist for a long time. I have my master's in clinical psychology. I was excited by working with one people one-on-one. Um, but ultimately, I think I just, I was so excited and, and tend to be a little 
have a natural sense of urgency and I wanted to do more and I wanted to do it faster. And um, by creating tools, I can just touch more people. So I was really excited by the idea of like what I can do through the marketing and by creating a brand, um, not just the actual vibrators themselves. So yeah, I think that both being able to like impact more people through a brand, through capitalism, um, was really exciting to me. And then I also did feel, and we are now doing a lot of education and a lot of the other components that I think bringing them to the masses while therapists can only do things like one-on-one is really exciting to me. The idea of building content and education as part of a brand is relatively new. We call it content-driven e-commerce. And certainly that's yeah. a big part of what I've done with Bulletproofs. Like, guys, I'll teach you how to eat and I'll make stuff you want to eat, right? But the teaching has value in and of itself. And you've done some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, you're on the Forbes 30 under 30. Um, you were the first sex toy allowed on Kickstarter, which is a really hard thing to do because, see what I did there? Because lots of people are... Um, I've been trying to do it forever, but they could never get away with it for some reason. What did you do to get Kickstarter to say, oh, this is actually like a high class product? Like, how, how did you do that? Because that's business wise, a very difficult bar. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had a brand at the time. So we were already selling products. We had a website. There was like a visual component and understanding of what we were doing um, in the public space. And we were working, we actually like, Honestly, our offices were down the block from Kickstarter. So we started having genuine relationships with the people who worked at Kickstarter. Um, And when we would talk to them, you know, nobody individually had any issue with what we were doing. It was kind of like, oh, this is just our policy, you know, kind of stuff. So we read through their mission statement and we constructed a letter before we were about to launch our next campaign. And, you know, they are out there trying to help makers create products, content um, that other that are going to make other people's lives better. And that's exactly what we were doing. So we really framed our ask and our like position in alignment with what they were doing. And they like immediately saw it. You know, we were like, look, we are we are women designing products that predominantly help people just like us have more fulfilling lives. This isn't about prurient behavior. This isn't about being lewd or crude. This is about living a healthy life. Um, And that resonated with them. And within like 24 hours, they came back to us and were like, we'd love to work with you. And we'd love to understand how we can like open up this category in a way that still feels, feels, you know, safe for people. Um, And I think that's like something that's so fascinating about sex is on the one hand, you know, it's about creating safety and there's so much unsafety too, or unsafety. There's so much trauma that really can fear. Yeah. Going back to your apps, there's so much fear in sex and some of it's really founded too. You know, I think some of us have our absolute worst experiences in a, in a sexual space, as well as some of our most profound and beautiful experiences in a, in an erotic consciousness. So, um, I, to me, that is only a, that is like the reason that we should be focusing on it. Yet, I think that power that it holds is, is so scary for people. I love that. So, you're talking about 
sex being both shameful or, or fear-driven or fear-ridden for some people and also being transcendent for other people. And it's yeah. that combination of the two states where it's one or the other or sometimes both. And as a, a trained sex therapist who's studied this, why is it like that? Do you, do you have any theories? Like what do they teach you in school about that? Well, they don't teach you much about it in school. You know, like I have my master's in clinical psychology. So, you know, I definitely took all the courses that were interpersonal or related to sex, but ultimately a lot of like the act, like still don't talk too much more about like sexuality and how it, like it comes up in our lives almost outside of the bedroom. Um, One, I think that, the power sex holds in all of us can be traumatic or transcendent for, for anybody. You know, I don't think it's necessarily these two groups of people. I think that like it has that power for all of us and it's just kind of a matter of the experiences we have. Um, there are lots of, there's lots of ancient wisdom around this, but I do think that we're tapping into a different state of consciousness that is incredibly somatic really tied to our physical bodies so that those experiences that get like hardwired into us in a way that I think can both be really powerful and create like, you know, a bond um, or be really traumatic. And for the rest of your life, you know, every time somebody touches you in a certain way, you like just cringe and it just brings you back to this like one awful moment. Um, And I think that, yeah, I mean, I've definitely had, I've had both of those experiences. So what's the role of solo play, masturbation? Uh, when, it, when you're looking at, okay, transcendent, traumatic, what changes when there's a partner or more than one partner in the room with you? It's a great question. So much changes, of course. Like, it is, I think they're both really important. I think they both have their roles. I think... It's very much like dancing alone or dancing with a partner. I think that you can, ex- you of course, can really experience this rise of energy within you on your own and um, find a lot of healing and understanding and education about your body. But to be able to pass that energy back and forth between you and somebody else is, I think, a very cool experience that... I don't, I think that it adds like this element of healing for me simply because somebody else is witnessing my experience of pleasure and joy and because I'm also bringing somebody else that experience simultaneously. So not that one is better or worse. I definitely find more time for the solo play as I think many of us do. Um, But they both, they, I don't know, they both really hold powerful places in our lives. Um, but I do think that there's something about the empathy, the learning how to connect with another person, this back and forth that you have in non-solo sex, or in what I guess we call sex, um, that's really powerful and beautiful. You know, I do think that, like, we live in a world where we don't have to have sex in order to procreate. And I love asking a group of people like, okay, who wants to live in that world? Nobody. Everybody wants to be having sex with somebody. Or not everybody. That's not true. There's asexual. There's lots of people out there who don't. 
But I think the majority of us do. We want that connection. So there's, it, in sex, there's an act of being selfish and there's an act of being of service to your partner. And we know that being of service puts you in a flow state. We also know that just sex puts you in a flow state. So there's all kinds mm-hmm. of altered states that people go into. I've seen a study that something like 20% of people report having you know, out-of-body experiences, you know, meeting God kind of things during sex, but their partner just yeah. sees them laying there twitching around. <laughs> so people I go totally places. Found God. I definitely found God during sex, which is so funny because so many people feel like God is what prevented them from finding sex. Yet I'm like, that's where, that's where I was positive. We were like really connected. I'm pretty sure that if you believe in God, then you believe that things were engineered by God and he made sex or she made sex, depending on which God you're yeah. into. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I kind of like, you know, the concept of God, we can get in there, it's probably not the way, or my feeling that there's like this, this power that connects us all, that there's something, yeah, like that, that we are all God, and maybe even, um, you know, I had that feeling, you know, during an orgasm once, and that really is definitely, I think, a big part of why I do what I do, and yeah, you know, you were talking about that back and forth too. I just kind of feel like that's really what it's all about, this push and pull in life. And then when you realize like, oh, when it comes together, when the masculine and feminine kind of spin together in this beautiful way where it really becomes one, like that's, there's just something there that's so powerful and beautiful and healing. Sex is definitely cathartic for so many people. And, you know, there is an act of being vulnerable. There's an act of surrender at some point, the the act of pushing and being selfish and all of those all in kind of in order, but that end in a, in a very high alpha brainwave state, which just so happens to be very effective at canceling out trauma. (laughs) So that's, that's one of the reasons that it can be really healing. And I'm curious because you have a lot of data about how people are using toys. And, and if you go back, you know, 20 years, um, sex toys, pretty much they all, you know, smelled like cheap plastic and were not something that most people were you know, that highly motivated to use. Just there were quality issues all over the place. In fact, I, yeah. I actually told one of the companies that wanted me to partner with them. I'm like, your product smells like a cheap sex toy. Like it, yeah. it's not clean. <laughs> so we, we don't want we don't want to be putting phthalates and all that stuff uh, in products um, that are meant for humans. And so you clearly are using the high-end materials and all that stuff. But what I want to know is for people who are, are buying nice toys, like the Dame stuff, how many of them are for use with a partner versus for solo play? Do you actually get that data? Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you, like, well, we designed some with partners in mind more so than others, but um, I don't, here's the data I do have. 35% of my purchases come from people that Google thinks are men. Um, so we definitely have a pretty strong male population that is a part of our community that's buying products from us to use with their partners. Um, I believe something about 48% of people have used a sex toy with their partner or report using a sex toy with their partner. So it's definitely fairly common. Um, and I also think it's like, what do we consider a toy or a tool? You know, I think that's so many, there's so many, of course, like we're talking about vibrators, but you know, a candle, lighting, music, like all of these things are things that we use to change our experiences to, 
put us in the mood and help us connect. So, and if you yeah. if you heard the interview about the the largest survey ever done of people's sexual fantasies, <laughs> that was a few episodes ago. People use all yeah. kinds of stuff. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I actually didn't. I listened to so many of the, of that. Uh, I listened to a few things in that that series. I'll have to go listen to that one. Yeah, that's probably one that would design four new four new products for you, including one with oh. ears. And I'm kidding. I have no idea. Uh, but it, okay. there's there's definitely. I was kind of blown. Like I had no idea that there was such a high variety and it was so common, just all these different fantasies. But just you know, seeing the data is really interesting to me to see what people mm -hmm. are actually doing because this isn't something you normally talk about at uh, um, you know at a dinner party unless it's really close friends and you're all pretty drunk. Uh, and uh, so it, it's one of the things where, where it's a common behavior, but it's you know it's in the bedroom. So I, I feel like sharing knowledge about what people actually do is of service because if nothing else, then people are like, oh, like, maybe I'm not weird. Maybe this is just normal, even though we don't talk about it. And that, that seems important. Mm -hmm. I also think now, though that like whatever we do is, is normal. You know, there's this constant idea that like, oh, am I broken? Like, you know, 70% of women need clitoral stimulation. In fact, a lot of the research shows that it's I'd probably even higher than that in order to have an orgasm and, I will, yes, the data is very normalizing. People feel this feeling of like, oh my God, it's not just me when I, when I tell them that figure. But whatever gets you off is, is wonderful. There's boundaries on that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for the most part, it, it's okay if it is a little weird and it's not what the data says. It's okay if you don't want to have sex once a week. You know, it, the data says that that's like generally what is average. I will say the data also says that there's correlations between having sex once a week or more and satisf satisf being satisfied in your relationship and in your life. So that doesn't mean that's true for you. Do you think cancel culture has negatively affected people's sex lives? I think cancel culture is just... I got into such an argument the other day with a close friend about cancel culture. <laughs> um, I think cancel culture... Not canceling people. Sometimes that's totally called for. Um, but the culture of wanting to call people out versus wanting to call people in, I think, has is, is negatively affected everything. Um, but, or a lot of things. So, yeah, I, I can see that relationship. I definitely also I think that there's definitely as we're going through this big societal shift that I think is really beautiful and cool and I'm excited to see, there's also some confusion around how, you know, I think Me Too has made a lot of men really afraid to initiate sexual experiences. And women also are like, do I want this? Do I not want this? Do I consent? Do I not consent? And I think that these are really important questions that we should be asking ourselves I do also think that uh, they're so important that we're asking ourselves this question. It also is definitely like creating a barrier. Like it's okay to like, it's okay to have a, to hit a boundary. It's okay to have an experience that you don't love at the end. You know, it's okay to do something and then say, Oh, you know what? Take your finger out of my butt. Turns out I don't like that. <laughs> you know, like I learned that now. It doesn't mean that like, you know, something bad happened or that it's inherently traumatizing. It's like, okay to have experiences that we don't like. 
and to yeah, learn the, from them. The way I grew up, it, it's like one of the two partners would generally say, let's go have sex or do whatever. And the other one says yes or no. And it was always okay to ask, but I wouldn't want to be dating if I was 20 right now. <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> how I would be able to deal with that. that. That seems like normal behavior to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, like, that is normal behavior. I do think that, you know, it's really just about learning how to read each other's body languages. And, you know, there's a lot more, there's so much information around it that that information can almost like stop you from, from just listening to your body and like listening to this other person's body and connecting in a really like authentic way. That being said, like, these are great conversations, you know, like so many women, including myself, we're sexually assaulted. And maybe if, you know, like it is so much easier for me even just to say that sentence now than it was in 2010. So. Yeah. Cause we've removed a lot of the shame from it just by acknowledging that it happens. And, you know, just sexual assault is a bad thing. <laughs> and, and the guys who don't participate in it, honestly, there's no way that we'd know about it unless a woman told us it was happening. Right. Cause if it's a secret, exactly. it's a secret. And so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued though, um, because when we move, we move past that and we're talking about just normal relationship initiation and things like that, you documented something called a pleasure gap. Yeah. Can you talk about what that is? Women are four times more likely than men to say sex has been not at all pleasurable in the past year. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the reason why we really focus on pleasure over orgasm is because I think that orgasm isn't the only way of understanding pleasure. Fair point. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it, I would argue it's a fairly male centric way of understanding pleasure, but that was an argument. I no, I've seen sure. a few women orgasm in my day. They seem to like no, it. No, they orgasm. And in fact, they can orgasm a lot more, too. So yeah, just because they had an fair. orgasm doesn't even mean that it was good sex for them. Their subjective experience of pleasure is different. And to just measure it, whether or not you had an orgasm, can be a little binary or reductive of our experience Absolutely. of pleasure. That being said, men are twice as likely to orgasm during a sexual experience than, than a woman. So, And I'm also using being very binary in my male woman language here, but for uh, honestly, we, we can talk the for research. The majority. Well, it's okay just if we're, if yeah. we're looking at statistics, how statistics work. It's also what the research has been done in. You know, the research just hasn't been done with like sex versus gender in mind. They were just lumping it together for so long. And uh, yeah, I am probably just talking about cis women and cis men. Now, you talked about, or you had this idea for a wearable vibrator. How does that actually work? So, I mean, I happen to have it. Um, so this is kind of, this is our flagship product. It's called Eva. It's a hands-free clitoral vibrator that you can wear during sex. It has bendable wings that tuck underneath the labia majora. So like my mouth was a vagina and you could see me. Um, and it pushes against, <laughs> it pushes against the labia, the outer labia, and that little bit of tension keeps it in place. So it provides clitoral stimulation, which we were just talking about as um, inter is so important to, to women. Um, and you can wear it while you're having penetrative sex with your partner. So we launched it on Indiegogo in 2014 and we raised 
thousand dollars in 45 days. Um, wow. yeah, I went from like my parents being like, what are you doing to <laughs> like, so proud. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is the second iteration of it now that we sell. So it's, it's called Eva and there's really nothing else on the market like it. It's a fantastic product. If clitoral stimulation is something that you need in order to really experience the full potential of your pleasure. Um, and I, I'm really, really proud of it. All right. Now, now I'm going to get my engineering side all happy. So you partnered with a mechanical engineer from mm -hmm. MIT in order to do this. So did yeah. you guys actually like measure the frequency of vibrations against a set of clitorises to figure out like how intense and how time when you cycles per second, like how do you go about designing a, a science-based vibrator? Cause that's fascinating mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean like motor technology is, it's fairly set. We definitely spent a lot of time trying to understand like, so there's like the frequency and amplitude of when you spin the motor. So a motor or what creates vibration, it's like a motor for anything, but then you put a weight on the motor and it spins the weight around, which is like the opposite of what you would want from any other motor. You'd want it to be balanced. Ours is not balanced very intentionally. So it's not just, it's a matter of cycles, which is like how often it goes and how fast it goes. Um, so we will measure that. And then, um, I believe it's called like a G and you end up measuring like the G, which is a combination of them. And it's just like the experience of how the G force, not the G, the G spot. Right? Yes. The G force, um, <laughs> to figure out like exactly how strong that motor is. Um, but for us, like I would say a lot of the engineering kind of went into the wings and getting this product to, to stay in place. It was a little bit more of a mechanical engineering feat than it was necessarily uh, the motor. Motor technologies, you know, we've continued to explore them um, as we've expanded our line to figure out like what, what motors do people like the most. I can tell you that like in my experience, whatever product you have after you use it for a little bit, they're going to wish that it was a little bit stronger. Kind of so people wanted more strength there. Um, yeah, you mentioned definitely, I mean, you're you're going to use your own company's products just like I drink Bulletproof coffee all the time. Um, but you mentioned your parents were like, what are you doing here? But you actually hired your mom as a product tester, right? What was that like? Yeah. How did, <laughs> I mean, I actually did also hire and fire my mom, but my mom was a product <laughs> tester. She, um, the, the quote I like to tell people is she said, well, if your daughter makes apple pie, you try the apple pie. Uh, so <laughs> shout out to my mom. Um, yeah, she, so there, there's other products on the market and she wasn't really sure. She doesn't love, I mean, oh my gosh, sorry, mom. She doesn't, <laughs> she, she is one of the 30%, not the 70%. So she really likes internal stimulation. And I got to have like this really amazing conversation with her about what she likes. And for me, it's totally fine as long as I don't really imagine her and my dad together, which is also kind of silly because I actually, well, it's getting really intense about my, my parents' life, but they're never going to listen to this. So it's fine, but they're no longer together. And I think that, you know, you want your parents to be having sex. Like it is really 
beautiful um, or you want them to be, you know, whether it's having sex with each other or having sex and feeling good in, in the world, like that's something that you want. You might not want to think about it in too much detail. And I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, it was great to have my mom's experience documented. And she came back to me after trying the prototype and was very much like, I really see what you're trying to do and why this is going to be like a successful product. I'm pretty sure that we have a biological drive once you hit about 13 or 14, suddenly your parents become really stupid and anyone else's parents are pretty smart and we're wired to leave the tribe. Like you have to be so fed up with your parents that you're willing to face lions, tigers, and bears to go to another tribe to spread your genes around. And it's a biological imperative. And once you're about 23, 24, suddenly your parents are, are smart again. And like we're, we do that so we don't get inbred in small tribes back when we were in tribes. I'm pretty sure that same, that same wiring is at play where, you know, the idea of a teenager thinking about their parents, I'm just like, ew, that probably prevents all sorts of bad things from happening the way our sheep would let them happen because sheep don't have that. <laughs> so yeah, but it's probably a good thing. Is yeah. Real big. So there's also that. Uh, that's um, a fair point. Yeah, but I, I, I agree. I hear what you're saying. Um, I like that's it's good that it's hardwired into us. I also wonder if that's how like you know we pass on our traumas. Like I'm I'm pregnant. I'm very excited to learn about all my flaws from my child. I think they'll be the best therapist I ever have. Uh, oh, you said you're pregnant? Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that's so cool. My first book was on fertility, and uh, it's such a it's such a big way to learn. Um, one thing that that's really interesting is that a lot of, especially women, experience uh, if something rough happened to you when you were a year old, when your child's a year old, it'll reactivate your traumas from when you were one. And if, when you were five, <laughs> if something bad happened, yeah. when your kid's five, it'll just pop up in your life. And it's the weirdest thing, but I've I've heard that from so many parents. We've experienced that as well. And it doesn't have to be sexual trauma. It's any kind of trauma. You know, trauma, or whatever. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're like, why did I just lose it today? <laughs> like, go back. So there's all kinds of intergenerational stuff there that probably is tied up with sexual trauma as well as any other trauma. So pregnancy totally. is a, an incredibly amazing time. Well, then I have to ask, sex toys while you're pregnant? Pros, cons? Yes. Pros. Pros, pros, pros. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Sex toys while you're pregnant? Pros, cons? Yes. Pros, 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 pros. I, I mean, I think. I think that sex can be a little bit... Well, one, everybody experiences their own changes in their sexuality, in their libido, in their physical experience of sex while they're pregnant. Um, I do think that it can be a little bit more uncomfortable. It can be harder to do certain positions. And a lot of women do report having just a harder time orgasming, especially in their later, uh, like in the third trimester. So having 
some extra oomph can be really effective. Um, I mean, I, I find, I've been finding them really helpful too, even from earlier, just because like, I was actually really uncomfortable in first trimester, just more so than I am now. Um, so not wanting to do certain positions and being able to kind of rely on some, something extra was really helpful for me and my partner to stay connected and still feel good. That's, uh, that's fantastic. It, it's usually the second trimester is pretty comfortable. The third trimester, not so much. So you're, you're following yeah, I'm not the there yet. <laughs> as, a first, as a first time mom, yeah. that's kind of how it, how it usually works, depending on all sorts of variables. Uh, the stuff you learn writing a fertility book is a lot. <laughs> but I, I wrote the book because my wife was infertile when we met. So, you know, that, that was hackable. And uh, um, yeah, th- wow. those are things that oftentimes you don't talk about because also people like, ew. And... Oh, I'm getting a comment from Mona says your hair is back on the mic. There you go. Thank you, Mona. I love having a live audience. Helpful guys. Thank you, Mona. Now share with me some things about sex and pleasure and longevity. Cause there's some studies about that. Have you read those? Yeah, a little bit. I know that there's some research that says that having sex will increase the longevity of your life. I think that like in eight, right. That's what we're referring to. Yeah. 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 Um, like, you know, in, uh, Taoism, the idea that like your chi is your life force, like your sexual energy is where you continue to create. I mean, it's, I mean, it is literally how we create other human beings. Um, I think that there's not just scientific, but there's also ancient wisdom that, that points to this. Um, I definitely feel like it keeps me young, right? Like sex isn't something we need to do to stay alive, but it is something we certainly do to feel alive. And the way we feel alive when we're having sex, to me, it just makes so much sense that 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 would then also lead to having a fuller and longer life. But I, have, I want, Dave, do you know more about the research? Tell me more. I mean, I, I've looked at it a lot. And the, the Taoists, and I love that you bring this up, um, they say for men, there's an equation. And it's age in years <laughs> minus seven divided by four. And don't ejaculate more often than that number of days if you want to maintain your health. And if you want to live mm-hmm. a long time, just ejaculate once a month or less and keep your male orgasm to less than an hour. And so I'm like, I have to disprove this, of course. So I spent a year um, following those rules and testing my daily happiness and discovered, yes, there is an orgasm hangover um, for men. But the, the Taoists would write for women that they walk away undiminished. Like it actually builds chi for women to have pleasure yeah. and orgasms. And for guys, it is depleting of chi. It doesn't mean you shouldn't and have sex a lot. You can build chi with sex. Force. Yeah. Um, right? No, don't quite finish. Don't quite finish. They also talk about being able to orgasm within, so you hold in your ejaculation. I don't know if you've oh, been yeah, able to absolutely. accomplish that, um, yeah. but that is in the readings. It's in the readings, and I thought it was all BS. I was like, I'm going to disprove this with biohacking and technology, and I believe they're totally right. But I can also say that whole part about you know having an orgasm for as a man, you know, for less than an hour. I'm like, what what kind of garbage is that? Um, and having had ones that last for at least 20 minutes, it's actually not even pleasant. I'm like, could it just stop already? Like, like I'm going to 
you know, I, like my abs hurt, I'm done. <laughs> but your yeah. body's like, you're not done. And I'm kind of afraid of that at this point. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on that's longevity related, but there's a study that says the size of difference in well-being for people who have sex once a week versus once a month is greater than the difference in well-being between making 75,000 a year and making 25,000 a year. In other words, yeah. if you have sex once a week and you make $25,000 a year, you're likely to have better well-being than someone who makes three times as much and doesn't get laid. And yeah. that's why I'm a fan of toys or whatever else you need in order to bring pleasure into your life. Because I, I think it's incredibly important because people who don't have well-being act like jerks all the time. And we're building a world of people who are wired to be nice to each other. It literally, it just extends beyond the bedroom too. You know, if you can get better or better at finding pleasure with your partner, I, I'm telling you, the sky will actually be bluer to you and the world will smell better. I just think that you're cultivating, you're practicing your ability to tap into a pleasurable state and that will, that, that leaves the bedroom. Um, yeah, it's really, it's wild that we don't talk about it as part of our well, like a, as part of a wellness practice. Um, At least we can talk about getting a good night's sleep now, which for a long time wasn't even, uh, even part of it. Um, <laughs> In fact, <laughs> I interviewed so Montauk Chia a while back. We talked about this as well, which was which was really fun. And something else that goes hand in hand with that. So if if you're a guy listening to this and you're saying, all right, you know, how could I possibly have sex and not uh, have an orgasm or not ejaculate? You guys make a vibrator that you actually put on your fingers. So yeah. if you're saying, okay, this time I'm not going to ejaculate, it comes down to more like, okay, now I have, I'm going to say, a toy to play with. Now you, you you have a, a woman um, who you know clearly, or maybe a man, whatever you know, whatever your relationship was like. But now, since you're like, I've had enough pleasure for right now. Now, mm -hmm. what do I do? And then it becomes a little bit more playful and a little bit mm -hmm. more partner focused. Yes. And it's more of an act of service, right? And then you're like, oh, you can play that like a violin, and like you end up practicing on that because you're not practicing the selfish part of it because like I've had enough, and if I go any further. I'm going to ruin the experiment. And yes, when I published my data, I'm like, yeah, I was going to go 30 days. I only did 24 days. And how do you put that in an experiment? Like, oops, that's what it says in my, my little graph that I published. So. <laughs> I think that it's so accurate. I know, you know, so many people who tell me about, and, and I've had this experience too, where you can't have sex or intercourse. You can't have penetration after some surgery or something. And that opens up a whole world of creativity for you and your partner. And you can actually have the best sex when you're, when you're not doing that. Um, and I also just, I like want to double click on what you said too about like, I think so many men have such a script for sex and just to break that script and to focus on being in service, I think will just, I mean, not only change the game for your partner, but really change the game for you you know, and your ability to then like go back and really enjoy all these other aspects of sex that your script might be passing over and you're not even noticing. The, the other side benefit for guys is that if you don't ejaculate all the time, um, you generally want to have a lot more sex and you probably do have a lot more sex, which is actually chi building for both partners. Right. Because you're more interested. You don't get the ejaculation hangovers. And like, hey, can we go again this afternoon? And things like that happen, which probably wouldn't happen. Yeah, I talk um, about that with my partner. I've definitely been upset when I found out sometimes if she masturbates or something, you know, it's 
and it's, you know, I, I know there's some people who are like, oh yeah, like, I don't feel like he's cheating on me or anything. I just want to make sure he's going to have energy for, for me later. Um, Cause it does impact his energy. Is Dame going to make like a male chastity belt or something like that? <laughs> probably not. Um, <laughs> probably it, it says, not. Look, it says right on your blog, you make stuff for people with vulvas, but wouldn't that be something for people with vulvas? I mean, I would be in fact, like, you know, we are, we are looking at things that are, you know, for penises because ultimately, you know, 90% of vulva havers are having sex with somebody with a penis. So if we can change the, you know, it's, it's partnered, you know, so it does matter either way. It's kind of for both people. Um, if you do come out with those, I'm going to laugh my ass off. I just have to say, cause um, that came up in this. They, survey the, that, they that exist. I, I can just, I'll send you one. Uh, <laughs> they certainly exist. Uh, but we really, you know, and to be honest, we're really focused on this, not necessarily because of of the health or scientific backing, but we're focused on creating, you know, sexual wellness products that squarely fit into this idea of what sexual health is because so much of what I'm doing is trying to change a narrative. Um, so while I personally believe that a lot of BDSM, kink, fantasy products are, I'm positive they're healing. Um, it's amazing what kink can do and fantasy can do. But, you know, like I'm, I'm currently in a lawsuit with the MTA, um, which is a New York City subway system. And I'm happy to tell you more yeah, about. What's going on there? Okay. So they, uh, we worked with them for like six months. They said they would run advertisements for us. And then when we sent in our advertisements, which they had approved, um, we made them, like we sent them like rough drafts of what it would look like. They said this was fine. We sent them the actual assets at the end. And they said, oh, you know, we would not and would never work with any sexually oriented business. Meanwhile, they're running advertisements for Hims, Roman, erectile dysfunction medication. They're running advertisements for breast enhancement, products that use sex to sell other things. Um, wow, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. So we made a fuss. The fuss didn't really go anywhere. And, you know... Since the New York City subway system is a government agency, they actually have to be fair with their guidelines. You know, a lot of private agencies, they can decide like, oh, I'm going to work with you and not you for no reason except for the fact that I like you. Um, like Facebook could essentially do that. But the MTA can't. So we filed a lawsuit against them. And they're... You know, there, there is an element of just public perception of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And I think making things like a chastity belt or, you know, handcuffs and spreader bars and all of these fun things that I think people should own really kind of does change how much we want to see it in the public sphere and how, how much, how accessible it is to have the conversations. So it's definitely, that's why I will not make a chastity for you, Dave. I wasn't asking for me. I was just thinking. No, I think I could tell you really wanted it. No, I'm joking. I mean, for <laughs> only if it's comfortable. I mean, I wouldn't want it to itch it as long as we could do that. <laughs> yeah. Now, 
I mean, there is a, a, a line there that's kind of getting blurred. So if, if you go back a long time ago, you know, you, you'd go to the adult bookstore and like no one would right. really talk about it. And there'd be, you know, all sorts of weird pervy people floating around and you'd, you know, there was a wall of toys that were all, you know, crap to, to be perfectly a honest. show in the back potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there may still be places like that, but I don't think there's that many of them because you know, there are people like, you know, this can actually be clean and normal. So like the line of acceptability over the last um, few decades really has shifted dramatically like from when it was in the 60s and all these how I would imagine it was to the point it is now. Where do you see it going though? Like 10 years from now, are we going to be all, you know, teledildonics and, you know, remote control everything like is it going to slow down is it going to just reach a comfortable thing or is it going to be spreader bars and all the other stuff you mentioned i think d all of the above um okay. you know i do think that the category is changing you can find our products in urban outfitters free people we sell on goop um revolve so we are in a lot of mainstream locations and are continuing to have conversations with mainstream retailers. And I do think that that will continue, like that, like beauty pharmacy space will continue to accept us more and more and bring us in. Um, I very much focus on making wellness tools. So for me, like I don't want to bring a screen in. I don't want to do too much tech. Um, you know, we use technology to make simple toys that are intuitive, easy to use, they aren't necessarily the experience. Like there are toys out there that become the experience, which is super fun. Um, and I think that those also really have a place, but we're really trying to focus on creating tools that help people connect better with themselves or um, with a partner. So that's what we're doing. I do I, think I like though that, that teledildonics are just going to change the sex worker game too. And that's true. And that's been going on for about, about 15, 20 years. Wired wrote about yeah. it when the very first generation came out. Uh, and it's, it's an evolving space, but it's still pretty fringe. Um, all right, I got to ask this girls, now. That, all of that is Yeah, new that's true. That's tech all has really changed. Yeah, it's really cool. Now, I'm just thinking about the Eva too, the one that you wear. Is there anything stopping you from just wearing that when you're just out and about? No. In fact, it's very fun to wear out and about. So it, it's, you know, between us. It doesn't currently have a remote, uh, but that's definitely on something that we really want to do. That, so that would be you in have high to demand. Kind of, yeah. That would be, yes, it's definitely on the docket of things that's in development. But it, um, so you'd have to kind of just touch it to turn it on and turn it off, which would be like the one thing that could potentially hold you back. But I think turning it on and doing the dishes is a great idea. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I think it's a really fun way to kind of just incorporate to teasing and play throughout the day. Um, so yes, it's a good idea. All right. Uh, I hadn't you. thought about it. You're like, it's, it's to be worn during sex. I'm like, you can probably just wear it whenever you wanted to. All right. That's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. How, how do you get feedback from customers. I, I know you keep iterating and I'm always working on that for my companies as well. So, so it seems like a lot of people be kind of awkward like, oh, it was, you know, too whatever. Are people just super open about their experiences with it or do you do surveys? Like how, how does that work in an experience where people have a lot of kind of concern about talking about it? Yeah. So 
we do surveys. So one, we prototype in-house predominantly. So we have a bunch of 3D printers um, and we will create products in-house and we usually start off by team members trying things out in the bathroom, coming back, being like, oh, can we just tweak this, you know, one thing and being able to change it really quickly because of, because of technology, we can rapidly prototype hardware products. Um, and then we will send them out to, we have a community of Dame Labs members. These are people who love talking about vibrators um, and have explicitly signed up for this program to get testers. I mean, we usually also survey them too before we even get started. Like what do, should we be making? What are your consumer pain points? Um, and then we'll send out the prototypes. We'll get feedback. We'll iterate till we feel good about it, put it into production. And then uh, we rely on reviews and we'll even call people up. So we've done everything from like getting on the phone with consumers to learn what they're liking, what they're not liking to doing surveys. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's so many challenges. There's challenges of people not really understanding what they like and what they don't like. There's challenges of like just language about how to explain what you like and what you don't like and how to describe a buzzy sensation versus a rumbly sensation. So kind of helping people with the language and with the words, asking specific questions as well as open-ended questions um, has been really important for us. And yeah, I think it's like just part of the cycle, being able to open up the conversation and listen to our customers not only helps remove the shame and stigma, but it also helps me make better products that they like more. So it's really just like a win-win. Uh, that's awesome. I, I love it that it's you know out of the dark and people are just saying, I want more of this, less of this, and that you're, you're going out to make it. Sorry, but- it's just amazing when you just ask a question and you're not shameful about it, how people are like, oh yeah, I guess I can also say clitoris. And then we're both just saying clitoris and it's fine. You know, just it's, it's easy to remove the shame by leading without shame. I want to know if you would name your cat clitoris. Um, it's kind of, yeah, I call it like clitty for like short or something. <laughs> clitty kitty. I like that. That works. You seem like someone who would have something funny in your house named after a body part. I don't know. Yeah. True? I mean, I don't yet. Maybe my kid, you know, first one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it definitely, I I would. I do think it's fun to say those words, though I'm also not, like there's other people out there in the, in the education space who are, who are anti-euphemism. i love a good euphemism. I think it's really fun to play with language. I think it's important that we can say the correct word and not feel like we're saying hoo-ha because we literally can't say vagina. But if you can say vagina and you also like saying hoo-ha, that's fantastic. Now, tell me about Kegel exercises. I mean, you've you've studied a lot of stuff. Good, bad, like walk me through that. Okay, so there's like differing opinions on it. I think it really depends on the education you have for your Kegel exercises. So there's definitely some instances where if you're continuously doing Kegel exercises, you can just be working on tightening your pelvic floor muscles. And it's really important to learn how to loosen your pelvic floor muscles as well. 
So you want to be practicing not just strengthening, but also like elongating and stretching them. I'm like definitely doing them a little bit while we talk. Um, so I do think that overall good, but the education and understanding around them is a little bit weak and it is important to get the right to do, to learn how to do them correctly um, and to know that you can be doing them wrong and cause pain or cause more harm. Got it. Um, definitely pelvic floor strength is an issue for men and women uh, when you have a strong yeah. pelvic floor. That's, you know, your I first think chakra. that's the, the other thing I forget. Posture, right? Yeah, it's like your whole base is set on it. And I do always think I forgot to talk about men too. I always think just about the pelvic floor for for women, but really it's incredibly important for men as well. Um, I have a very weird device. No, it's not an insertable. Um, that is for building pelvic floor strength in men and women uh, that a, a friend of mine who's into Qigong um, told me I had to buy. And I'm thinking about sending it out in the next Dave Asprey box um, because it's such a powerful thing. Like I did this thing, it's one minute a day of the certain kind of squeezy exercise. And my posture straight. Like it was ridiculous. Like your head moves back because you just got the bottom of your your pelvis there or your pelvic floor there. And of course it's a bigger issue for women, especially post pregnancy with sneeze peeing and all that. So there's all, all sorts of of things that we're willing to talk about that no one would talk about ten years ago, which is really cool. But it, it seems like there's value for Kegels. Um, it's just like you said, with any exercise, you might want to do it right. Yeah, you seem to learn, but it's very I think it's there's a lot of value there, you know, and and like you've already said, it's not just sexual value. Like I think for so many of the things that we talk about when we're talking about sexual pleasure and sexual health, it goes beyond the bedroom. You know, like you literally have better alignment when you have a stronger foundation, you know? So I, I just think that that makes so much sense. And to me, it also really translates to this idea that like, when we understand ourselves sexually, we have like a stronger alignment throughout our whole being and our whole body as well. But I just might be being heady right now. Oh, I feel like I'm being nice. heady with the right person. <laughs> there you go. No euphemisms there. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't I even ask. realize I'm doing them. You're very good at catching the puns. They're not even intentional. <laughs> My inner seventh grader is strong. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to change. Wonderful. Now, I always ask guests who come on the show, like uh, shoot out a discount uh, for listeners. And you you were kind enough to do that. Dame products, D-A-M-E products.com slash Dave. You can get 15% off. Um, you did send me a, a pack of all your goodies. So thank you. Uh, very high quality, useful, good stuff. I'm not going to do a full review here because I think Lana would probably punch me, but we'll just say that they're good. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. And kind of going, you mentioned this earlier, but they are medical grade silicone. Most almost all of them, they're rechargeable. Um, and yeah, this is a category that's not regulated. So be careful what you buy. Um, and, you know, the vulva is porous. It will suck that stuff right up. It will indeed. You have a couple of questions from our Upgrade Collective members? I am. I'm up for it. <laughs> okay, Diane, you want to come on and ask your Upgrade question? Sure. Okay, so my question is, with the device that you guys were talking about that you had originally started on Indiegogo, which I think is a fabulous site, by the way. I've done a lot of backing on that. 
but not back then because I didn't know about it. Um, are you going to do an upgrade? And if so, um, will it be through that format or, or on your own particular um, website? So yeah, we are on Eva 2 now. So we've already upgraded the product and we're going to continue to upgrade it. Um, we have not really been using crowdfunding sites anymore to launch our products um, for no real good reason. I mean, it's just simpler. It's just like logistics. It's easier for us to just do everything for our own website. It's probably better for SEO. But, you know, as you bring it up, I am like, man, that that platform did so much for us and we reached so many people. I wonder if we could, should tap back into like where we got where where we started um i bet we could reach new people and yeah it really did but we don't like need it for cash flow reasons anymore i think one of the reasons why that site was is so powerful is because you can get money before you make the product before you do tooling before you pay your manufacturers um and we're kind of you know mature enough with our with our cash flow where we don't need that I don't need to ask customers to pay so far in advance, but the community is so powerful that I, I would consider it again. It, it, it's a it's good a, way for very young companies to get funded. It's harder for companies that are established. I mean, you've built a real brand and all, so if you go out there, it, it adds a lot of complexity. So it, I mm -hmm. would, I probably wouldn't launch a new Bulletproof product there, but for one of my smaller companies, when I do it, I, I might just as an entrepreneur, you always kind of balance it out. Yeah. It really is an amazing marketing tool in and of itself, though, in a way where I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, if they were willing to also really promote my, my launch. Maybe that is a reason why I would do it. Of course, like they take a they take a percentage that like I don't I don't need that community anymore. Um, and I think the other thing that's really challenging is when you get all this press you, like I want those links to go to my website. I don't want the links to go to Indiegogo because then all of those links live there forever and those links are really valuable for my SEO. So those would be all the things I think through. But I love Indiegogo. I also think crowdfunding for equity is a really fascinating and an exciting tool for the future, especially a way of democratizing like who I get to make money for. Um, but now I'm kind of off the question and into La La Land. Into entrepreneur land. Yeah. Let's do another question from, uh, from Brandon. And we'll just be quiet while he asks this question so we don't get an echo. Brandon was asking about various types of orgasms. You want to ask that one, Brandon? Yeah. So I know that your, uh, your device was about a clitoral stimulation. And um, if I am correct, there are different types of orgasms. And there's the coveted. Uh, I know that a variety is probably good, but there's like the coveted whole body orgasm, which I got, I got close to that Nirvana. I got close to it, but then I didn't quite get it. But um, anyway, what do you think about those different types? Uh, and also, I want to know your thoughts on, on foreskin as well. So a bit of a controversial thing to just throw in there. Um, okay. Oh my God, I'm so excited about these com these questions. Um, okay, so one, yes, there is like the blended orgasm or full body orgasm. There are lots of different classifications that 
people have put on different types of orgasms. Uh, ultimately, there's not like so much science around this, but you know, the in women, you know, you have the clitoral organ, which goes mostly external, not mostly externally, externally is really kind of just the iceberg, but it's this highly sensitive part. And then it has like an internal structure that does touch the, the vaginal canal. Um, and I have definitely experienced and hear people talk all the time about when you stimulate both internally, like when you're stimulated both internally and externally, you can have a fuller, richer orgasm, which people call a blended orgasm. Using a toy like mine while you're having sex is more likely to help you achieve that. Um, I do think, though, that you know a lot of this stuff is based on conversations and subjective experiences versus like really fully understanding like what what is happening. Um, in our bodies. So that, and I've also mostly heard this language talked about for women. I know that a lot of men do talk about prostate orgasms in a way that feels uh, subjectively different for them and oftentimes more powerful. But that is my, the information I have to bring to the table. Maybe Dave has some too. And then uh, for skin. So I am a New York Jew. And this is a hot topic in my community, especially as I am pregnant. Um, I think that we would need a lot of good evidence to show why we should cut something off of our bodies. And I don't really personally believe that the evidence is there. I have read a study that also shows reported that women, women reported better sex with uncircumcised men. Um, and I also really do kind of feel like it's a protective sheath that it's kind of almost like, like it almost creates like a womb for men, which I think is really beautiful. There is also some research, there is science that also shows that having foreskin can increase your risk of STDs and STIs. Um, so I don't want to just ignore that that research is out there a lot of that research has been done in africa where i think like the context is different um so yeah my my personal belief is like you should do what what you think is right um i do think that there is a big change happening in how what what's happening to newborns and i I, I do think it's one of those things that like if aliens came down to like meet this new society and then we had to explain that we were cutting off a piece of our like, like it was a tag that we've just decided we didn't need. They'd be like, that is so weird. Like, why do you do that? Um, so yeah, I guess overall, I don't intend on doing that to, to my son if I have a son. And um those are my thoughts. At, at the risk of offending anyone or another, uh, male genital mutilation is wrong. And if a guy wants to cut his foreskin off, he should be able to do it when he's 18. That's... And it's okay to just say that. And yes, I am circumcised, by the way. 
Yeah. um, That's what we used to do. There's good evidence it is traumatic for little boys. Putting baby through trauma is a bad idea because trauma sticks and then you have to deal with it later. So the nicer we are to little babies, even if they don't really have the musculature or the ability to really fight back, they don't like it. So I would say there's even some research that they feel pain more intensely. Um, of course, I think that ultimately it's really hard to know their pain as they cannot speak. But yeah, Dave, wait up, say it. Well, one of the uh, one of the guys in the Upgrade Collective, I'm not going to name him in case he doesn't want to talk about it, is actually regrowing his foreskin um, in a lab with a company called Foragen. Because and there are some guys um, who are doing that, saying this is a part of my anatomy that's useful. And in, in terms of reducing risk of, um, they said, you know, penis cancer and other things like that, if you cut off your arms, you have less risk of arm cancer too, but that doesn't mean that you should cut them off. So that yeah. seems like bad science to me. <laughs> and they also say that there's like more UTIs and newborns, yeah, but it's also like, well, learn how to clean a little bit, you know, like there's, like there's, I think especially if we were cutting a piece of our bodies off, like there might just be some knowledge that we've lost too about how to just take care of this part of our body. So, but I'm all, I I mean, I I think how can we go around saying it's so awful to cut off parts of vulvas and then not consider what we're doing tonight? That's fair. Yeah. I'm with you there. I didn't think we're going to get into that, but I think it's, it's an important conversation, especially for parents. Right. And look, if you decide to do it, there's pretty clear evidence that guys turn out okay if they don't have their yeah. skin. Right? It's not the end of the world <laughs> either way. Right? But in terms of just like taking the best path uh, for a baby, I think the science is pretty clear on it. And a lot of the studies, you know, saying there's a benefit there. The benefits are, are very small and they well, are looking at the downside. Right? I, I agree. Cool. And there's a lot well, of that like... Was, I, do, I hear cool. men say all the time that they're worried about too, like, oh, it's going to look different. And they just, the, the reasons I hear for, for pro circumcision are so socially constructed. Yeah. I guess to make it look a certain way, there's all sorts of plastic surgeries and weird stuff like that. But mm-hmm. when it comes down to pleasure, from what I've read, there's definitely some nerves that you're losing there that are probably good for a male's pleasure. So if, mm-hmm. if that's the, the consideration, but I, I really do appreciate the, the curious, the curiosity plus engineering aspect uh, that you're bringing just to the whole conversation. It's all right. Like, how do we make something that people want to use that increases pleasure because when you can increase pleasure, you're actually increasing people's happiness and satisfaction in life in general. Um, so, you know, whether or not you've got a, a foreskin or you know anything else, like, hey, w- what's the sum total of things that you can do alone or with a partner that's actually going to work, um, not just for orgasm, but just for pleasure. I, I think there's value to that and just doing it in a in a way you could sell at Urban Outfitters. <laughs> it's actually really cool. It's normalizing a normal behavior that should have always been something that was okay that we just When people talk, talk, oh my God, people talk about like how I'm mainstreaming the industry. It's like, first of all, over 50% of people already use vibrators, right? So that is mainstream and it's sex. It's literally how we all exist. So it's mainstream, you know, it's wild. It's just, it's just, it's wild that something so foundational to our existence is considered so taboo to even discuss. 
Well, thank you for making good stuff. Thank you for studying it in university, getting good with it. And thank you for telling the MTA to stuff it with their stuffiness because that's stupid. And I hope you win. Thanks, Dave. I hope I win too. It's looking pretty good. Um, Yeah, thank you. I, I loved learning too here. So it was really fun for me as well. Cool. You guys got the code earlier, dameproducts.com slash Dave, get 15% off. Um, the wearable one can be a lot of fun. <laughs> That's the Eva 2, right? That's its name? Yes, it's the Eva. Okay, yeah. Eva 2. Um, full, full recommendation there. <laughs> and thanks again. I hope you enjoyed the live questions. I'm really enjoying uh, the Upgrade Collective. Uh, they're here on video, and I'm doing a little side chats with them during this, and they're asking some good questions. So thanks, guys, from the Upgrade Collective. And if you're listening to this, you'd love to be part of the live audience and learn all the stuff that I know, including some of the weird stuff we just talked about, ourupgradecollective.com. I'll see you guys there. And I'll also probably see you on dameproducts.com because I might be ordering something else. Yeah, cool. Thank you. All right. Much appreciated. Guys on Upgrade Collective, hang on uh, for a second here. I'll take a couple of questions with you guys over video, but we'll end our, our official podcast first. All right. Well, uh, thanks. That was fun. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.